Our scripture readings this morning come from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and chapter 7, verse 51 through chapter 8, verse 1. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Our second reading from chapter 7, starting at verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. With this, when he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. The word of the Lord. Well, let's start with the iconic band from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the Grateful Dead, shall we? Any deadheads in here? Any? I heard from, there's a couple back there, yeah. Do some of you even know what I'm talking about? I, um, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was well aware of the Grateful Dead at a young age uh, and their tie-dyed followers and... Um, and the famous New Year's Eve concerts at Winterland in Oakland every year. As a matter of fact, I have a memory, many memories of, I'm not necessarily a deadhead, but I have memory, many memories of the Grateful Dead culture 
And uh, one was, uh, one, uh, it was, uh, I-, I was in seminary in New Jersey, and I was uh, home for Christmas, and I caught a uh, early morning New Year's flight from Oakland back to Newark, New Jersey. Um, and this was just uh, right after one of the dead's New Year's Eve concerts. And you know, the dead were known for playing, th- very generous band, and they would play until the wee hours of the morning. And of course, that flight from uh, Oakland back to Newark was just filled with a whole bunch of deadheads who had been at the concert the night before. Needless to say, it was a very quiet flight. One of the best flights I've ever taken. Just really, really quiet with deadheads passed out all over the plane. Yes. Well, we start with the Grateful Dead today because they did a song called St. Stephen. And they claim it's based upon Stephen in the book of Acts that we just read about. Um, Now, I've known the song for years. I've listened to it. I studied the lyrics this week. And I defy you to find a connection between the lyrics of that song and the Stephen of Acts that we read about. Um, But nevertheless, the Grateful Dead say, yes, the, the song is written for Stephen of the Bible. way the live version goes sometimes as long as 25 minutes at a concert they would just play this 25 minutes and in, including this song uh this version that's recorded 1977 at cornell university you're hearing um i asked i asked steve eisbacher the pastor at first presbyterian church in Ogden, if if he could make any connections about the song because he's not only a grateful dead connoisseur but he's also, you know, well-read in the Bible. So I said, Steve, and, and he's a friend of mine, I said, Steve, tell me about this song. And this is what he said, I quote. He said, sadly, I don't think there are very clear associations to make. You can work at it, but you really need stoned deadheads to get very far, I think. <laughs> I know, I studied the words of the song, and it seemed like someone might have been on something when they wrote this, but... And, and by the way, historic moment, this is the first time the Grateful Dead have played Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church this morning, and you were here for it, right? The church calendars have special days for Stephen. The Roman Catholic Church calendar has St. Stephen's Day, December 26th, the day after Christmas. In the Eastern Orthodox calendar, December 27th is a special day for St. Stephen. There are countries in Eastern Europe that have special holidays for St. Stephen and people celebrate and they're off work. Who gets a special holiday in Europe? And, uh, and his own day on church calendars and a song by the Grateful Dead in his honor and memory. I think we should know who Stephen was. Stephen comes onto the stage in the book of Acts pretty quickly And he leaves just as quickly. He's on and he is off. But he is significant because Stephen was the first Christian who was killed because he was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're introduced to him as one of seven men who are part of a group of people to help with the distribution of food to the widows in the early church. The church has always taken seriously the poor and the vulnerable and taking care of them. 
And as the early church grew in numbers, the apostles had more responsibilities and they could not continue to do all the teaching and all the leading of prayer and also see to the daily distribution of food with the other jobs that they had. So they reorganized the community to make sure that uh, teaching and food distribution were done by this group of men who were the first deacons. And then the apostles dedicated themselves to the word. The deacons showed care for the widows. Stephen is one of these, and he's described as a man, it says, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace and power, doing great signs and wonders among the people. But Stephen didn't just wait on tables. He also gave a verbal witness to Jesus Christ. Stephen defended the faith and the life of the first Christians against opposition. He argues with them. And we read, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him, Stephen, as he spoke. And the opposition stirs up the Jewish leaders to seize Stephen, to put him on trial before the Sanhedrin. And they accuse him falsely. They accuse him falsely of speaking against their temple and against the law of Moses. And they say, we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. One of the main things about Jesus Christ, one of the main things about him was that he believed and he claimed that the Jewish temple, what it was all about, that temple, was found in him. Nothing was as sacred as the temple to Judaism, and people went to the temple to encounter the Lord God and also to have their sins forgiven. And then when you left and you tried to keep the law and you couldn't do it, you just had to keep going back and you'd get forgiveness of sins again as you came and you made the appropriate sacrifices. Jesus said that he could give forgiveness of sins once and for all, for all who welcomed him and who trusted in him. Jesus saw himself as the personal embodiment of what the temple was all about. The Lord God of Israel was not going to build a new temple to replace the old temple. No, Jesus said God would replace the building with a new community of people who belong to Jesus. The people, his church, would be the new temple where God would dwell Jesus was where Israel's God was going to meet people in him, he said. You remember, one of the false accusations that was made against Jesus when he was on trial was about the temple. People accused him of saying, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Well, do you see why... This fell so hotly on the ears of many in the Jewish establishment in the first century that a man from Nazareth could replace the temple and replace the Jewish law of Moses. This is one huge reason why being a worshiper and a defender of Jesus was seen as such a threat to them. And Stephen echoed this by saying that there was now a way of access to God that had been opened up that was more immediate and that was more heart-satisfying than going to the temple. 
And he said, this was found in Jesus Christ. As Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin, answering to them, we read that his face shone like an angel. And when the high priest asks, are these charges true about you? What you're saying about the temple, what you're saying about Moses. Stephen makes his defense. And it is a, one of the longest presentations in all the Bible. Chapter 7 is the presentation that Stephen makes in his defense. 51 verses of him speaking, if you're counting. It's worth reading. Read it. In essence, Stephen tells the Jewish leaders their own story of their own history, but how that history is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Stephen begins with God appearing to Abraham, and he walks them through the larger story of the Old Testament, talking about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Spends a long time on Moses and the law and everything that Moses did. And he touches on David and Solomon, and then he talks about the temple. And again, his message is that God is not contained in the temple. He ends his message by coming on pretty strong. He calls the Jewish leaders stiff-necked and uncircumcised. That's what, remember David called Goliath, you uncircumcised Philistine. You really want to get somebody, you want to get somebody back, call them uncircumcised. He said they resist the Holy Spirit. He says you've betrayed, you've murdered the righteous one, meaning Jesus Christ. He says they've not obeyed the law. These are not conciliatory remarks. Stephen is pretty in your face, and the Sanhedrin is furious. But Luke tells us Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Again, there he is, the Holy Spirit. He keeps coming up in Acts. He keeps orchestrating things, moving. He's on people. He's in people. And Stephen looks to heaven, and he sees the glory of God and Jesus at the right hand of God. And he says, look, I see the heaven open, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. They drag Stephen away, and they begin to stone him. Now, stoning was done... Not quite like this artist's rendition of the stoning of Stephen. Stoning was done by, first of all, throwing someone into a sizable pit. And sometimes it was so deep that sometimes the, the fall would kill a person. If it didn't, then they would begin to hurl rocks down upon that person. And not just throwing, you know, little stones, those, but it would also involve throwing larger, boulder-sized rocks into that pit until the person died and that person was sometimes covered. And as Stephen is dying, he cries out to the Lord Jesus for two things. Number one, first he cries out that the Lord Jesus would receive his spirit. And the second thing he cries out is that Jesus would forgive those very people who were doing this to him. Jesus prayed those same things when he was on the cross, dying. In fact, there are significant parallels between Jesus' death and Stephen's death. Both are accused of speaking against the temple, and that is why they are condemned. When Jesus was asked if he was the Messiah, he said he was, and that people would see him, the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of God in power. Stephen, when he is dying, looks into heaven, and he can see Jesus, the Son of Man, seated by God. Jesus Ask the Father to receive his spirit. Stephen asks Jesus to receive his spirit. 
And lastly, both ask for the forgiveness of their killers. They ask for the forgiveness of those who are killing them. One of the reasons St. Stephen's Day comes after the day of Christmas for the Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in our church is that Stephen so closely imitated Christ. One day we celebrate the joyful birth of our Savior, December 25th, and the next day we celebrate and we remember the cost of following the Savior. We Protestants, we kind of miss that, you know? Our calendar is a little different, isn't it? Like, we don't really have one. Or we don't pay very close attention to it, you know? We have the Super Bowl and Mother's Day, but, but we don't have days like this. We need to. We lose something. And it says, Stephen fell asleep, which is one of the ways that early Christians spoke of death. It wasn't a denial of physical death. It was just a way of suggesting that, you know, we are really only sleeping and we are awaiting resurrection. The Christians are never really dead. As we trust in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life for whoever believes in him, even though they die, will live. Two other significant notes about Stephen. Those who are watching the trial and the stoning of Stephen are laying their coats at the feet of a young Pharisee on that council whose name is Saul. Remember that name as we go through Acts. And the other thing is that on the day this took place, the killing of Stephen, a huge persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And Saul goes on a rampage now to destroy the church. It's a dark day. Nothing good can come out of this, can it? Others died just like Stephen. Thousands upon thousands of Christians in the first, in the second, in the third centuries lost their lives for their commitment to Jesus Christ. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands have been killed in all kinds of places, in all kinds of countries ever since that time. Why kill Christians? Why kill people who stand for that name of Jesus Christ? If the gospel is so benign and harmless, why such a strong reaction from people? And why have so many tried to stamp it out for so long? Being a Christian posed a great threat to the Roman Empire because Christians would not give their ultimate allegiance to the state to the empire, or to the culture. When they were forced to choose between calling Caesar Lord and just, we'll call it good, and calling Jesus Lord, they chose the second option. And it says that Christians believed the gospel of Jesus was absolutely true. Not just one truth among many, but it was the truth about God and it was the truth about the world. They were not interested in just being spiritual as we kind of think it today. I mean, you know, in our day, we can be spiritual. A person can be spiritual without being a part of any faith tradition, without even having any particular convictions. Rome was a very spiritual, religious environment. They had a, they had a slew of gods. They had a pantheon of gods. And you could worship any god you liked as long as it didn't mess with anybody else's god. Rome even made an offer at one time to the Christians to make Christ one of their state-sanctioned gods. And to that, the Christians said no. Jesus Christ was like no other. 
He was real. He is the way to God. He is Lord and Savior. Talk about resistance to the government. That is why Rome and that larger society was so hard on the church. And a good deal of our faith is what Peter and John said when they were arrested and they were put into jail and then they were told not to speak about the name of Jesus. Remember what they said? We must obey God rather than humans. That's where we come down. We must obey God rather than humans. And they weren't interested with melding with the niceties of Roman culture. Christians did not die to prove something to God. They didn't die to earn something from God. They gave their lives to witness to a life that they perceived was a gift from God. And this gift was so precious and priceless that even their lives was worth it and they could not keep it a secret. They witnessed to Jesus at the cost of their lives, but for them that was life. We probably won't have to pay the ultimate price for our faith. Some Christians are up against tremendous opposition. Some are up against apathy. And I wonder sometimes, what's, what is the worst response? Intense opposition or intense apathy? And what does it say about the way we live our faith that maybe no one even cares anymore? But there's a sense in which every sincere, active Christian will be a martyr. We will die maybe in other ways, which are common to every Christian, than just losing our physical lives. For example, we might die daily, we should die daily, to ego. That costs something. We might die to pleasures. Yeah. Some pleasures we give up for what the Lord calls us to do, and that is hugely countercultural to the society you and I live in. We die daily to power. We die daily to success. There may be relationships and lifestyles we have to lose in order not to compromise our commitment to, to the Lord. Stephen's witness was not how coming to Christ made him more powerful and successful. We hear that sometimes, don't we, about what it means to be a Christian. His witness was that Jesus is Lord and, and Rome and everyone else is not. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And maybe acceptance and joy in hardships that we face because of our Christian convictions is a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person. It isn't always the flashy things. It's not always preaching or teaching or speaking in tongues or healing or, or prophecies or what have you. It is standing ground for Christ when it costs. When I think of people losing their houses, losing their jobs, losing family, losing their livelihood because of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am deeply challenged. If someone was coming after my livelihood, would I stand for Christ? Do I have that kind of faith? It's courage, but it's more than courage. It's conviction. 
Conviction that is cemented in personal experience. Will Willimon, in his commentary on Acts, notes this. The story of Stephen reminds us practitioners of polite, civil, mentally balanced religion that once there were Christians who quite joyfully parted with possessions, family, friends, even life itself in order to remain faithful. Has that changed? You know, the word for witness, the biblical word for witness is the same word for martyr. They mean the same thing. Witness and martyr. And sometimes to be a witness costs. It costs, in fact, many people um, became Christians. Many people became Christians because they saw the cost that those first Christians were willing to pay, and they said, there's got to be something to this. And the question behind the story of Stephen is what is worth living for? And also the question, what is worth dying for? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the example of Stephen. And we thank you for the great line of those who have died for faith in you. Now who are crowned with the crown of faith and live with you in glory. We pray today for those in places where people are in threat and line of danger for their faith. Lord, wake us up from just a polite, civil religion and make us faithful and our witness to you in every way. And it's because of you, Jesus, and because of what you've done for us and who you are that we pray. Amen.